I can't think of anything clever to open with, so fuck it, hit the music. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ninja Nerd Warrior podcast for November 22nd, 2022. I am your host, Greg Hernandez, and how is everyone doing today? I hope you guys are doing great, because I am fucking outstanding. I am doing great. Remember the job that I was telling you I was trying to get fired from? <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Fuck them. Yeah, they can take that company, shove it up their ass. Um, didn't, uh, didn't exactly get fired as much as uh, gave my boss a finger and said, fuck you, I quit. Here's what happened. So for some of you who know, some of you don't, obviously, I do, I did, <laughs> past tense, I did loss prevention, which meant I walked around grocery stores and busted fucking shoplifters for eight hours a day. One of the most mind-numbing jobs you can have. Oh my God. And I used to get this shit a lot. I used to get... Well, if I had your job and I saw somebody stealing because they were hungry, I would just let them go. Yeah, so did I. I did it all the time. Okay, here's the problem. Somebody stealing because they're hungry made up for about 3% of my work week. Okay? Dude walks in, doesn't look like he's had a shower since the fucking Clinton administration, grabs a uh, sandwich and a bottle of water. I didn't see shit. The two fat ghetto-ass chicks who just loaded up a cart full of body wash and shampoos and bath beads and fucking whatever else because they're going to sell that shit on uh, OfferUp or go out to the swap meet. Yeah, fuck them. Okay, and those are the ones we usually busted. So um, in case you're wondering, top three things that always get stolen. Alcohol, how uh, health and hygiene shit, and meat. Just fucking meat. I have no idea why. Uh, oh, and um, like laundry detergent, like detergents and, and soaps and shit like that. So if you're ever on Craigslist or offer up and you see somebody selling a laundry detergent for like five bucks and it's like in a two gallon thing, that shit was stolen. Uh, if you ever see like those fuckers on the side of the road selling flowers, yeah, they, they did not pay overhead for that shit. Anyway, here's what happened. We had uh, these two guys that look like fake-ass mumble rappers, MC Such-and-Such and and his buddy Dick Ryder Supreme, who grabbed like $200 worth of detergent and bolted out of an emergency exit. I tried to make the stop. Fists were thrown. I had no backup. And um, yeah, I ended up looking like Ric Flair at the end of every fucking match ever. So I got some pictures of my bloody face. I texted my boss with the words that said, fuck this job, I quit. So yeah, because if you're gonna quit, go out in style. That's what I say. I look like Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler when he quit the deli job and he's walking out face full of blood and he's just like, fuck this shit, I quit. That's exactly what I look like. It was awesome. So I am now unemployed and I am happy, happier than I've been in like two years. Oh, it's fucking great. Yeah, I don't have a paycheck next week, but 
I'll burn that bridge when I come to it. Fuck them. So, yeah, I am. I am fucking thrilled. You have no idea how thrilled I am that I no longer work for this piece of shit company. It is great. Awesome. Anyway. Oh, and they did. I did end up in the ER. I did end up in the ER because I was told, like, go get checked out just in case. So I went and got a CT scan. And um, the, I don't know if it was a nurse, medical assistant, whatever. But he tells me, he's like, yeah, dude, you're, you're, yeah, he actually said, dude, it's California. He's like, yeah, dude, your CT scan came back. Everything's normal. And I went, you're full of shit. I've had 15 concussions. There's no fucking way my CT scan came back normal. Don't bullshit me. Anyway, moving on. Uh, going from my really great news to news that just sucked. Uh, two days ago, three days ago. I can't remember. I've had head injuries since then. Um, we lost Jason David Frank, the Green Ranger from the original Power Rangers. He was also the White Ranger, and he, I mean, he loved Power Rangers so much, he came back in so many different iterations of the series. Um, unfortunately, we lost him a couple of days ago to a suicide. Yeah, apparently he was doing some appearances in Texas, and they found him in his hotel room, um, obvious victim of uh, suicide and yeah that sucks so my heart goes out to his friends and family um, I hope hopefully he can find the peace that he obviously evaded him in life and um, all the best to his family and his friends and we're just going to keep the suck train moving because last week we also lost Kevin Conroy. Kevin Conroy is, was a fantastic voice actor, and he was the voice of Batman and Bruce Wayne in the original, uh, probably not the original, but the uh, Batman animated series from like 92, 93. And for a lot of us, he is our Batman. He's my Batman. You know, um, Keaton did a great job. I almost said Clooney. I almost threw Clooney on that list. Um, Christian Bale, Ben Affleck. I mean, they've all, I'm not going to say, no, I'm not going to say his name. Fuck the last guy. Fuck him. Um, everybody has their Batman. And it's usually the guy you grew up with. The first guy you saw live action. First one I saw live action was Adam West, obviously. But my Batman will always be Kevin Conroy. That voice just, I was already, shit, junior high, high school, when that show started, but I grew up with that voice. Anytime I read a Batman comic, it's Kevin Conroy's voice that I hear in my head. Uh, he did, he was, did a fucking amazing job on the animated series. He was in so many different animated movies. The voice of the first two and the best two, Arkham Video Games. That's the Batman that's in those first two Arkham video games is Kevin Conroy. And I found out that Kevin Conroy passed away due to organ failure. And that was just a gut punch. My brother, I actually woke up, my brother texted me with a picture of the news article. And I'm just like, there's no fucking way. So, yeah, um, I got to meet him. I actually got to meet Kevin Conroy at Long Beach Comic Con. 2016, 2017, like around that time. 
And I I had three goals. I had three people I wanted to meet at, at Long Beach Comic Con that year. Kevin Conroy, top of the list. And coming in at second and third, you can figure out which one's which because I don't even know. Um, Adam Baldwin and Sean Mayer from, uh, from Firefly. Those were the three I had to meet. I actually have a Firefly trade paperback that I'm collecting all the cast's uh, autographs in. And so I brought that with me, and I'm like, I'm getting, I'm getting in line for Kevin Conroy. I've got my copy of The Killing Joke. The animated movie had just come out. The animated Blu-ray had just dropped like a month or so before. So I have my copy. I'm going to get Kevin Conroy to sign it. And they're right across the walkway from each other. They're right across. So I'm like, sweet. Get Conroy's autograph and then get in line for Baldwin and Mayer. Kevin Conroy's line was so long that by the time I actually got to meet him, Baldwin and Mayer were gone. <laughs> they were gone for the day. But worth it. Kevin Conroy was so fucking nice. He was such a nice dude. Signed my, my Blu-ray, got a picture with him. Super, super nice guy. And um, they say never meet your heroes. I have no complaint about this one. Kevin Conroy was such a down-to-earth dude. Uh, like I said, autographed, took a picture with me, sat there and shot the shit for about five minutes because it was still like 400 people in line behind me. But, um, yeah, we, uh, we lost him last week. And that sucks. So, moment of silence for... Uh, Jason David Frank and Kevin Conroy. So let's go ahead and uh, cheer things up quite a bit. I got to see both Black Adam and Black Panther this week. Holy shit, that was fun. Those were both really good movies for two totally different reasons. Completely different. Let's start with Black Adam because Black Panther is going to be depressing. Not going to lie to you. But... Black Adam was two hours of big, dumb fun. It really was. Why am I not writing movie, movie reviews? Because that's a great line. Seriously, two hours of big, dumb fun. And Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, has said that Black Adam was a passion project of his. He has wanted to play Black Adam. He even said that he was born to play this role. Here's my question. Why? Why? What is? What was it about Black Adam specifically that Dwayne Johnson said, no, this is my role. I'm worth 20 gazillion dollars. I'm playing this fucking role. I, Rock is not that much older than me. He is not that much older than me. I couldn't tell you. Before, um, before Super Friends, I'd never fucking heard of Black Adam. Ever. Actually. Yeah, that was it. That was... Wait, hold on. Yeah, no, I just went back and checked. It was not Black Adam on Super Friends. It was Black Manta. So I actually had to go back to 1981. There was a Shazam cartoon. That was the first appearance of Black Adam that I've ever... Actually, I'm not even sure I ever saw that one. So I had no idea who Black Adam was until, like, maybe the last 10 years or so. So what was it about this role that Dwayne the Rock Johnson said, no, I have to be Black Adam. Have to be. 
So I don't know. That's the question I want answered. But this was fun. This was great. Here's here's the part that it's a total mind fuck. We are talking about Dwayne the Rock Johnson. The most electrifying man in sports entertainment. Yeah, that guy. And he was so just uncharismatic in this role. He re I realize he's playing a different character. I know that. But you got the Rock who is just this fountain of charisma playing this character he might as well have been playing a terminator because that's the amount of personality that black adam has he's basically he's a t-800 that that's what happened ironically that's going to come into play later on but this movie had a fun origin story like it gave you holy shit the origin story was like 10 minutes there was like they, they go into you know the history of Kondok and Teth Adam and the slave that became that got powers and became a ruler and it was a great story. It was it was an awesome uh, origin story. And admittedly, I do not know this character that well. I don't know Black Adam that well. So going in, I had to research this, which makes the ten dollars a month I'm spending for the DC Infinite Universe like pretty much all of their comics like in digital form. Finally, that shit came in handy because I just went in to type in Black Adam and read a bunch of shit before going in because otherwise I wouldn't know a fucking thing about this guy. They did a really good job. Not, it's not strictly out of the comics, but it doesn't matter. It was enough to where it was enjoyable. Um, this movie, I will say, was a dark, aggro Shazam. It really was because so brief, you know, oh, spoiler warning. I always forget that shit again. Head injuries. Spoiler warning. Haven't seen these movies yet. I'm going to spoil the shit out of them. So um, delete this. Go watch his movies. Download again because I need the download numbers and then come back. So Black Adam was Teth Adam is his real name. He was a slave, got powers and freed his country, Kondok. And that's the origin story we're going with. We are thrown 500 years into the future. What was it? I think it was 500 years. Anyway, I didn't know there was going to be a test later, so I didn't study. And we're thrown into the future, so it's present day. And you have this, what do they call it? Inner gang? You have this army, basically, which is taken over Kondok, and they are basically strip-mining the land for this mineral called Eternium. And you have Sarah Shahi, which is... I love Sarah Shahi. Anytime I get to see her, she's great. She was in a show called Fairly Legal on USA. Uh, she was in... She has a brief cameo in... I believe it's the first... Second. It's the second Rush Hour movie. But she just did a short stint on The Rookie, I love her in anything she's ever been in. And the whole time I'm watching this going, that's Sarah Shahi? Fuck yeah, Sarah Shahi. Anyway, she plays a female Indiana Jones, basically. She's this archaeologist who's helping to find this one crown made out of this specific mineral Eternium, which I think is a He-Man, Master of the Universe property. I'm not sure. And But, of course, you've got this army that they're looking for at first. She finds it just as the army finds her. And they find the tomb of Teth Adam. And she, we, anyone who saw the teaser trailer, this is where that shit came from. 
So she speaks the sacred words, and all of a sudden, Black Adam is back, and he just fucks shit up. We are 10 minutes in this movie, and we got a 20-minute action scene. It was great. It was fucking great. And it's The Rock kicking the living shit out of an entire... Were they Australian? What was an Australian army doing? They were... Yeah. It was some weird fucking accent. But kick the shit out of this entire uh, entire army. And then he sees his homeland. He sees, you know, the Kondok, which is his homeland, but it's it's 5,000... 5, is it 5,000? Fuck. I don't remember. Again, did not study for this. But it's just a long-ass time later. And in the fight, he's actually... Uh, he takes... <laughs> He takes an RPG to the face. After taking out this entire fucking army, you've got this one dipshit who gets a lucky shot in and hits him in the face with an RPG and knocks him unconscious. He wakes up in Sarah Shahi's apartment. How they got him there, I have no idea. But wakes up in her son's room. Because apparently this woman brings home strange men and puts them in her son's bed. The son, oh my god. This son, this dude got on my fucking nerves. The actor was fantastic. Whoever the actor was, I can't remember. Again, I've no, I did no prep for the show. The actor was fantastic. The character, I wanted him dead. I wanted him dead. He's one of those characters that just throws himself into shit, and you're like, how are you still alive? How, you are the, you are the male Middle Eastern Sookie Stackhouse just keep jumping headfirst into danger and somehow not dying. But I'm saying this was like an aggro Shazam because remember in Shazam how you have Billy Batson and you have his uh, foster brother and the foster brother is just like, hey, you've got powers and, you know, can you fly? Can you, are you bullet resistant? Oh, and you have lightning. And then he starts planning on, like, we'll have t-shirts and we'll have posters. And he, the kid starts fucking monetizing his brother. How can I exploit this motherfucker to make money for me? That's what this kid did. Amon. The, the character's name was Amon. That's what Amon started doing. Oh, hey, you can fly. You're super strong. You, you're bullet resistant because that's a thing. You need to be on t-shirts and posters and the, he even said the uh, superhero market's huge. This kid annoyed the shit out of me. He really just annoyed the living shit out of me. But there was also a Terminator 2 T-800 John Connor uh, relationship there where the kid starts teaching the uh, emotionless hero, anti-hero, whatever he was, how to be more human. And Amon is teaching Black Adam about, you need a catchphrase. You need, you know, tell him the man in black sent Oh my god. Tell him the man in black sent you. It was... It was annoying, but it was supposed to be annoying, if that makes sense. It was very well written because I wanted this character dead. But it was fun, and you have you have the Rock, who's basically the straight man, in this little in this duo. The Rock is the straight man. Think about that for a second. That's what made this awesome, because the kid is just they're they're bouncing jokes 
off the rock. As where the rock is the one delivering the punchline, normally, here, he's just, he's the wall you're throwing that punchline against. I thought this was good. I thought the rest of the cast was really fun. I really enjoyed it, but I will say this. I'm a bigger fan of the Justice League than I am the Justice Society. I don't know the JSA that well, but they use the JSA in this movie. One question. Could you have ripped off Deadpool more than what they did to Adam Smasher? That was exactly what they did. Basically, the fuckwits at Warner Brothers said, Hey, um, I hear people like that Deadpool guy. Just take Adam Smasher and fucking make him look like Deadpool. Just give Deadpool a paint job, and that's what we're going to do. Holy shit. That was just the biggest ripoff. It was, I mean, the character worked. He was the comic relief. That's exactly what they wanted him to do. But, yeah, and don't don't come at me with in the comments with, well, that's what that's what Adam Smasher looked like in the comics. No, he did not. He did not look like Deadpool with a paint job. Shut the fuck up. No, he didn't. You know what? I will say this. I'm not I don't know as much about DC's A and B list characters. I don't. I, I'm I will say that. Um I know your Batman, your Supermans, your Justice Leagues, and all their villains. I know them. But when you get into like their C and D list characters, I'm not, I'm, I don't know them that well. And inevitably there's going to be somebody who goes, Dr. Fate is not a C list character. Dr. Fate's been around since 1940 and the fucking guy just got in the movies now. They don't do that to A listers. Shut the fuck up. But that's the rest of the movie. You have the Justice Society against Black Adam and what this was, was the JSA gets word of Black Adam. Um, basically, more, more accurately, there's a threat in Kondok, and they need to get in there before shit hits the fan. And so you meet Dr. Fate, played by Pierce Brosnan, who's... Is Pierce Brosnan never not awesome? You have Hawkman, played by Aldous Hodge. I love me some Aldous Hodge. Ever since Leverage... Everything he's been in has been fucking fantastic. And rounding out the team, you have Cyclone and the aforementioned um, Adam Smasher Deadpool knockoff. So, again, their job is to basically... They were told... Here's what, here's what I loved. They were told to go in and negotiate with Black Adam. This is what they're told. They were told to negotiate with him come to a peaceful resolution and if possible trick him into saying Shazam so he doesn't have his powers anymore. This, These were the instructions. Okay? So the JSA goes in and the first thing Dr. Fate says is kneel or die. It's your choice. Who starts a negotiation with kneel or die? Dumb shit. You're Dr. Fate. Which means you can see into the future. You can see fate, if you will. Did you actually think the kneel or die thing was going to work? Let's let's think about this for a second. Did What were the chances of kneel or die working? So Black Adam kicks the living shit out of the Justice Society. Beat their ass. Oh my 
God. And now we have, so we have Black Adam versus the JSA. And then at one point, the JSA and Black Adam have to team up because this inner gang has got the crown of Sabak. That was what it was, crown of Sabak, which is supposed to house the powers of seven demons or some shit. I don't remember because it really, it was, it was a side quest. <laughs> Let's face it. It was the villains of this movie was inner gang and they were just kind of an afterthought who later became like, I didn't give a shit about it, about inner gang. Um, the leader, I don't remember his name. I honestly cannot remember this fucking guy's name to save my life. Uh, they get the crown. He wears the crown and he becomes Sabak, king of the demons or whatever the fuck he was. And yeah, I not gonna lie. The movie lost me at this point. This movie lost me. Um, it was, it's a big, dumb, fun action movie. This is definitely a popcorn movie. It's great. But if you're looking for this great story about these heroes and villains, I don't know if you're going to enjoy it. I don't. If you don't know much about Black Adam and Justice Society in the comics, yeah, you're going to think this is fun. But I can just see the like a lot of the uptight, butt-puckering comic book nerds going, well, they didn't stick to the source material, and this would never have happened, and that would have... I listened to one uh, comic book podcast all, that I listen to all the time, and they reviewed it. And they were just like, the JSA would not be taking orders from Amanda Waller. Amanda Waller's shown up like twice. So we really haven't gotten to know. All we know is she's a bitch. Like, we don't know how big of a bitch. But, yeah. So those people would probably not like this movie. But, honestly, I thought it was fun. And I am going to spoil the shit out of the post credit scene here for you. So you can fast forward like two to three minutes because... I'm going to spoil the shit out of this. I will say the best part of this movie is the mid credit scene where Amanda Waller shows up on a drone. She's like a hologram on a drone, like Tupac at Coachella. And she tells Black Adam, Kondok is now your prison. You cannot leave the country of Kondok because you step one foot out of there, which is something that's really weird to say to a guy who can fly. But you step one foot out of there, and we're going to have trouble. And Black Adam tells her, we both know there's nobody on the planet that can stop me, right? And he blows up the drone. That's very, that's oddly specific wording. Nobody on the planet can stop me. Because out of the smoke of this smoldering drone, you see Henry Cavill as Superman. And I'm not going to lie, I knew this was the post credit scene, I still kind of cheered when I saw it. Henry Cavill steps in looking as just boss as Henry Cavill can look and basically tells Black Adam, you leave Kondok and we're going to have a problem. And that's how the movie ends. So, again, I thought it was really fun. I don't have a lot of detailed information about these characters' backstories. Maybe that made it more enjoyable for me, but I really enjoyed it and I would recommend this. I, I would highly recommend this. So following that up, we have Black Panther and I need a breath. Hold on. Because like I said, these were two totally different movies. Black Panther. Oh my God. This was such a punch in the soul 
So, as we all know, we tragically lost Chadwick Boseman a few years ago to colon cancer, pancreatic cancer. Can't remember. But um, it was cancer. So does it matter? Like, I'm not doing his autopsy, so I don't really know what the cause of death was. But it was that was a gut punch. That was a serious punch to the soul because I made this comparison to a friend of mine the other day. Chadwick Boseman was basically Freddie Mercury in the sense that both men found out they had a terminal illness and they had a very limited amount of time left on this planet. And they decided they were just going to spend the rest of their time working their ass off. They were going to contribute to their art, to their craft, and they were going to give their fans everything they could to remember them by. Uh, if I remember correctly, Freddie Mercury recorded like four albums in like three years. Chadwick Boseman was in four or five different movies. Uh, shit, he did no more than that. He had to have done more than that because um, shit, he did four Marvel movies. He did Civil War. He did uh, Black Panther. He did Avengers Endgame and uh, Infinity Wars. He did four Marvel movies. So he had, and I remember at one point he played Jackie Robinson. I think he played James Brown. Um, the fucking guy did six or seven movies uh, before he passed away. So yeah, I mean, I couldn't help but compare Chadwick Boseman and Freddie Mercury in that sense that no, I am going to spend what time I have left to give my fans as much as I can to remember me by. And so that being said, oh my God, this movie. So the question remains, do you address Chadwick Boseman's death in this movie? That was, that was the question they had to answer going in. Do we, do we acknowledge that we lost Chadwick Boseman? Do we just recast T'Challa? And there's arguments to be made either way. I mean, I'm not gonna criticize them for the decision they made, but it could have gone either way. And if anybody, if anybody's getting all butthurt right now that I even mentioned recasting T'Challa, Chadwick Boseman's own brother said they should have recast. Chadwick Boseman's own brother said Chadwick would not have wanted the character to die with him. And I don't give a shit how big of a fan you were of Chadwick Boseman. You did not know him better than his own brother. Shut up. So if you're getting pissed off that I'm suggesting, how can you recast? Fuck off. His brother said it was cool. Anyway, not what they fucking did here. They addressed, basically they killed off T'Challa in the first three minutes of this movie. Spoiler warning. Off screen, Chadwick Bose, not Chadwick, I'm sorry, T'Challa, um, we, are, we are let in that he had some undisclosed disease and you have Shuri in her lab working on some kind of cure or treatment and while she's working on it, uh, Angela Bassett, Queen Ramondi, comes over and tells her, your brother's gone. And I, like, that scene right there. Okay, let me, let me just, see, let me just make this crystal clear. Um, anytime you saw any character in this movie mourning the loss of T'Challa, that was the actor 
crying over Chadwick. That never, at no point did I ever doubt that. That's how great this cast was. I didn't doubt for one second that these people were mourning their good friend. Awesome. And so we open with the loss of T'Challa. And right there, we get the Marvel signature. And we all, we all know the signature. It's the Marvel logo with all the, all the footage and all the shots of the different Marvel movies. And this one is just all Chadwick Boseman. I don't think there's any Black Panther in this. It was, it was all shots of Chadwick Boseman. Like his face was never covered. It was all shots of him. So the entire Marvel signature was a love letter to Chadwick Boseman, but it didn't stop there. <laughs> now we're not even close to done. So now we are, it's one year later and they are learning to mourn the loss of their King. And you have Queen Ramunda played by uh, Angela Bassett, and she is at the United Nations. She's now the ruler of Wakanda, and she goes in front of the United Nations, and they are telling her that, you know, basically the United Nations is being a bunch of dicks because they're telling her, we are really disappointed that you, with, you have not um, shared the vibranium that your country is so rich with, you have not shared the vibranium with the rest of the world. <laughs> Angela Bassett, I'm sorry, Stella has never lost her group. She fucked these people up. She flat out went, I'm paraphrasing, but basically told them, fuck you. We will not let vibranium leave Wakanda. We have seen the weapons that you people have made without it. We have seen the wars that you've waged. We've seen the people that you've killed without vibranium. Do you think for one fucking second, we are gonna let you have this resource? Fuck you. Again, I'm paraphrasing. And we immediately cut to a vibranium uh, refining plant, whatever it was. And you see this like Delta Force strike team going in and they're going to steal all the vibranium that this facility has. And they walk in and they have weapons on the scientists. And they said, where's the vibranium? And this, <laughs> this one scientist, she's like, not fucking around. She's like, it's in there. It's in those doors. Just open that up. It's all right there. And he goes up, opens the doors. It's these big double doors. And all of a sudden Michonne comes out with the rest of the Dormelage and fucks these guys up beat the living shit out of them. Now, we've already established in the MCU, the Dormelage, the the uh, special forces of Wakanda, led by Okoye, Danai Guerrera, who, is, she's always gonna be Michonne to me. I don't care. I don't care what she does. She could find a cure for cancer, and I'd be like, hey, did you hear Michonne cured cancer? But she's Okoye in this. That's fine. Okoye uh, just leads this team, this strike force, destroyed these guys destroys them and then we cut back to the United Nations and Queen Ramonda is not she's not budging she says hell no you're not getting a, no vibranium for you it's basically what she says and as she says it the doors open and you have the rest of you have Okoye and the Dormelage coming in with the strike force like hands are zip tied behind their back they're they are all tied together like Alaskan sled dogs. And she brings them in and she makes them kneel in front of the UN. 
And Queen Ramonda says, this is why. This is why you cannot have vibranium because this team hit a vibranium uh, refining facility last night. This is why. And she just like a boss walked out on the UN. This was the first 20 minutes of the movie. This was fan fucking tastic. I was just like, hell yeah. Angela Bassett. Oh my God. That was awesome. But now we go to Shuri who uh, T'Challa's little sister. We all know she was going to be the new black Panther. We did. Don't. If you get pissed off at me, cause you're like, I didn't know that. Well, then you're an idiot. Okay. Cause they've been talking about it for years. There was an article. I read this article on Twitter uh, cause Twitter's still alive. Shockingly. And there was this article on Twitter where people were pissed off that you had Shuri on the poster, Letitia Wright, in the Black uh, Black Panther uh, suit, and they were pissed because they went, this poster ruined the movie for me because I knew who the new Black Panther was. Technically, the comics ruined it when they fucking made Shuri the Black Panther ten years ago. So, don't be a dumbass. So the, the rest of the movie is built around Shuri and she doesn't, she's trying to move on after the death of her brother. We've all had a loved one that we've lost and it's just, you're just trying every day to be normal and it's just not working out. That's what Shuri's going through. And it's, it was great. I've heard some criticism of the way this character was done because in the first Black Panther, you had... Shuri had this confidence. She had this strut. She had this um, energy about her that she didn't have in this movie. And I've heard some criticism about, well, why, why didn't she have it here? Her fucking brother was dead. That's why. It would have been weird if you start this movie and they kill off T'Challa in the first 10 minutes and the rest of the movie, she's just walking around strutting with this confidence and no fucker she was mourning the loss of her brother so for anybody who's pissed off that yeah Shuri Shuri didn't have the spark she had in the last movie she wasn't supposed to stupid oh that irritated the shit out of me but the other half of this movie we finally got Namor we finally and kind of <laughs> we kind of got Namor. Um, Namor in the, in the comics has been the leader of Atlantis. Namor is to Marvel what Aquaman is to DC Comics. And if you're one of those people going, yeah, they stole the idea of, of Aquaman and made Namor. Marvel and DC have been stealing from each other for fucking decades. And it's not one or the other. They've both been stealing shit. So shut up. Anyway, we finally got Namor but we didn't get the Atlanteans. We got the not Atlanteans for copyright and or storyline purposes, but for short, we'll call them the not Atlanteans. That's, that's what we got here. What they did, okay, what they did here, they basically took Namor and the not Atlanteans and made them ancestors of the, of the Mayans which I thought was really interesting. That's a really interesting take, except it raises a problem here that I was laughing my ass off in the middle of this movie for. So 
the Atlanteans are now ancestors of the Mayans. Cool. Okay. Got that. Uh, except now the Mexican people have been represented twice in the MCU. You had America Chavez in uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And now you have Namor and the Atlanteans who are ancestors of the Mayans. As I said, Mexican people have been represented twice in the MCU and collectively their powers are magically jumping across borders and the strongest swimmers in the world. Fuck you, Marvel. That's really is a dick move. That really is a dick move by Marvel Studios. I don't know if anyone else caught that. I sure as shit did. And I was I was in I was at the movie theater, and my movie theater serves alcohol. I'm like three stiff drinks in, and I went, oh, shit. And I just started laughing, and the dude next to me is really annoyed because the movie is all somber, and T'Challa's dead and everything, and I'm just like, wow, they just they just punked the shit out of my people. Okay, all right. Anyway, moving on. The whole, um, basically the whole plot of this movie is you now have... Namor and the Notlanteans going to war against the Wakandans and there's no Black Panther. The Black Panther, there's no Black Panther to uh, to protect his people or their people in this in this context. And so the Na the Notlanteans just came in and destroyed the Wakandans until finally you have Shuri who steps up and she takes on the mantle of Black Panther and already had a suit. Already had a suit custom made for her, so I don't know what the fucking problem was. But these two go to war. And here was... Alright, I'm just going to cut right to the final battle scene because this pissed me off. You have the Wakandans on this giant boat going out to war against the Notlanteans. Why, why, fucking why would you fight the Notlanteans on water? Does that make any sense to you whatsoever? Okay, this is, see, this is what happens when you have a bunch of Hollywood writers who have never played sports and don't understand the concept of home field advantage. Okay, that's, yeah, tactically, does it make any sense to fight these fucking people over water. Does it? No. No, it doesn't. They did find out that Namor's powers come from being in water. So basically, he starts drying out. He gets weak. He jumps back in the water. Boom! Full recharge, back up to 100%. So what does Shuri do? She fights him on the beach. Because the water is like right there. It's, just, it's like 20 yards right there. But anyway, big fight, Namor and Shuri. Shuri kicks his ass because the movie's called Black Panther Wakanda Forever. If this was a Namor movie, she'd have been fucked. But Namor yields, and there's kind of a armistice, a peace treaty between the Wakandans and the Notlanteans. Yeah. And so anyway, I, again, I thought this movie was good too uh, for a different reason. This was not Black Adam good. This was this was a fun movie 
it was carrying on the legacy of this character while saying goodbye to the actor that basically made this character famous. And there were three, three different times in this movie where there were video montages of Chadwick Boseman. Like, you cannot tell me this was not a love letter and a goodbye all at the same time. And I'm fine with that. Totally fine with that. But very good. I would highly recommend this one as well. So Black Adam, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, I would definitely recommend both of them. Uh, not in the same night, though. I did them both in the same day, and that was that was a long-ass day, I will say. Moving on to the main event of the evening, AEW's Full Gear pay-per-view. You know what? I'm going to say this. AEW's pay-per-views still feel like an event. They only have, they only do four pay-per-views a year, which I'm fine with, because... One of the biggest mistakes I would think WCW and WWF did was giving you a pay-per-view every month. Because how many pay-per-views did WCW and WWF just basically call it in? They just phoned it in. They like they were doing a pay-per-view because we have to do a pay-per-view every month. Screw it. AEW's pay-per-views still feel like an event. They still feel special because you only get four of them a year. And I really, this was a good show. This was, I will say it was a long show. I, I'm, that's one thing, that's one drawback. This show felt long. I kept, <laughs> the last three matches, before the matches started, I'm going, okay, this has got to be the main event, right? This is Moxley and MJF. Nope, women's title match. Fuck. Okay, all right, women's title match. Good match. All right, this has got to be the main event, right? Nope, AEW tag title match. Motherfucker. Like, I was getting so pissed off because I was... It was a long show. It really was. Um, and I don't know why I'm dragging out this review, so fuck it, let's dive in feet first. First match of the show is Jungle Boy versus Luchasaurus in a cage match because why not? Why not start the fucking show with a giant gimmick match? Fuck. Oh, did I mention this show is going to be long? Son of a bitch. Okay. This, I will say this. They have done an excellent job of telling this story. And I'm not sure this story was supposed to go on this long. This was, you had Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. They were the Lucha Express tag team, tag team champions, you have Christian as their manager, as their mentor, and everybody knew that Christian was going to turn. Everybody knew it, but they strung it along, and they slow burned it, and they made you wait for it. It was the anticipation. They built the anticipation, which was fucking great. That's the thing about wrestling nowadays, folks. Well, not nowadays, it's always been this way, but it's more obvious now. You have to hook the fans emotionally. The reason I say nowadays is because at least back in the old days, back in the good old days, when kayfabe was still alive, the people could believe that these fights were real. You really had two guys or four guys beating the living shit out of each other. Kayfabe's been dead for a long ass fucking time. And if you don't have, if the fans cannot believe that the action is real, you have to find a way to hook them emotionally if they're going to give a shit. 
This story has done that. Again, we everybody knew Christian was going to turn on Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. It was just a matter of when. He finally turns. It's awesome. And fucking Christian tears his bicep. <laughs> so as where you should have started the program between Jungle Boy and Christian, you can't now because Christian had to have elbow surgery and now he's out for months. So you have to call an audible. Let's turn Luchasaurus on, on Jungle Boy as well. And we'll team up Christian Cage and Luchasaurus. This is the blow off to that feud. White had to start the show. I have no idea, but fuck it. We'll just go with it. Again, it's a cage match. So you know both guys are going to get out of the cage because cage matches aren't shit nowadays. Point of a cage is to keep everyone in. I couldn't tell you the last cage that actually kept fucking people in the ring. But at one point, you have Christian Cage, who is dressing like the greatest Bond villain ever, steals the key from the referee because, of course, unlocks the door. Why? I have no idea. Because in AEW, at least they do this right. In AEW, a cage match is pinfall or submission. That's it. That, that escape the cage bullshit doesn't exist. So why Christian had to unlock the cage, I have no idea. There was... And then the, the commentators had no idea. The commentary team was like, what the fuck is he doing? Well, we unlocked the door because Luchasaurus had to get out of the cage to get the chairs and the tables and all that shit. I'm going to ask this again. Why does a cage have a door on it? In 2022, when the two major promotions in the wrestling world lower their cage from the ceiling to the ring why do you need a door on the fucking cage explain that to me put both guys in the ring lower the fucking cage have the match raise the cage when it's over not rocket science folks but like i said before this story or this match told a really good story really great psychology uh of course i mean christian's involved dude knows his shit let's not let's not pretend he does it dude knows his shit i would not be surprised if he's the one that put this together there was one spot. It was really subtle, really understated. At one point, Luchasaurus picks up Jungle Boy, hits him with a tombstone. But instead of hitting him and letting him go onto the mat, letting him just drop him on his back, Luchasaurus hits him, stays on his knees, does a lunge and lifts him back up into a power slam. And I went, why has nobody hit a tombstone Stood back up with the guy, hit him with another tombstone. That's a finish right there. Tombstone, boom. Get back up, tombstone, boom. Throw a third one in there. Stand back up, tombstone, boom. That's a fucking finish right there. God damn it. Anyway, Jungle Boy goes over, taps out Luchasaurus. Um, like I said, really good match. And these guys worked their ass off. This was great. We then have the match that's been three months in the making. Has it been three months since the media scrum from hell? Is that what happened? Anyway, you have the Death Triangle versus the Elite for the AEW Trios titles. And I was convinced, I was absolutely convinced that Death Triangle was just a placeholder until Kenny and the Bucks came back and got their titles back. I was absolutely convinced. So Death Triangle comes out looking all badass. And then the Elite came in, and they made their entrance like a Supernatural season finale. Carry on my wayward son. 
yeah, that happened. That happened, and my first thought is, which one was it Nat or Nick Jackson that just started watching Supernatural and went, bro, this is us. Saving people, hunting things, the family business. This is so us. Because the show, the show just ended. The show ran for 15 fucking years, and at no point did you ever, ever show any interest in coming to the ring to Kansas. So one of you motherfuckers just started watching the show and like, <gasps> I have an idea. Yeah, this, this screamed copyright infringement. But anyway, they even tried to copyright Wayward Sons. I don't know what they were going to do with it, but yeah, the Bucks tried to copyright Wayward Sons and for some reason they couldn't get it, I don't remember. Anyway, this match, holy shit. Oh my god, let me see. I'm going to... I'm going to try to recap this match as best I can. Ready and flip, dive, dive, flip, double dive, triple flip, triple lindy, four way around the world, super kick, super kick, super kick, super kick, super kick. I'm pretty sure the referee was the only person in this match that didn't throw a fucking super kick. Yeah, that was the whole match. That, oh my God. Now, I'm not talking shit about it. It works for him. All right. Death Triangle and the Elite are the only six fucking people that can put together a match with zero ring psychology whatsoever. Just video game booked the fuck out of this match. And I say video game booking because that's what this match was. It was just an endless collection of moves. What was going on? You have no fucking idea, but you'd mark the fuck out. That's basically what video game booking means. We're just going to do it just because, goddammit. Again, no disrespect. I thought this was... I thought the match... The match was fun. It was fun to watch. I had no fucking clue what was going on half the time, but damn it, it was fun. And there was a nice little twist at the end. Like I said before, I was convinced Kenny and the Bucks were coming back and they were putting the titles back on them. Meanwhile, you have this story where Pac has gone full heel. Let's not pretend he hasn't. He's been winning matches, hitting people with the bell hammer. And Pac has been telling Ray Phoenix, like, no, you need, to, you need to use this. You need to take shortcuts. We need to stay on top. And Ray Phoenix has not wanted to do it. And so several times in this match, Pac... Pac or Pac? I'm going to say Pac. Fuck it. Pac has been trying to slip the slip the hammer to to Ray Phoenix and he won't do it. He keeps throwing the hammer out. Finally, he take he, he gets the hammer. Omega lifts him up for the one-winged angel and Ray Phoenix says, "Fuck it." And busts Kenny in the top of the head and they retain their titles. Holy shit. I did not expect them to retain their titles. And so you had the payoff for one storyline and you had the return of the elite, you had this converge into one moment in this pay-per-view. So the match might not have had any psychology that I could follow, but the fact that these two stories converge at this point, genius, absolute genius. Next up, we had Jade Cargill versus Nyla Rose for the TBS Women's Championship. Son of a bitch. Oh my God, okay. Can we just admit that Jade Cargill 
is 2022's Lex Luger. Can we can we admit that? I mean, she looks like a million bucks. And she's green as fuck. She was pushing the spotlight way too fucking early. And just like Lex Luger, you're just going to keep you're just going to keep pushing her and pushing her and people are going to give a shit less and less and less each time. This woman has a 42 and 0 win streak and nobody gives a shit. Okay? Maybe because she hasn't really beaten anybody. I mean, she beat Marina Shafir. Who the fuck is Marina Shafir? She beat Madison Rain. Madison Rain, we all know, is the trainer for the women in AEW. We but we all know she's they're not putting the title on Madison Rain. Madison Rain's a great worker. Don't think that I'm saying that Madison Rain isn't a great worker, because she really is, but she's not a full-time worker. You don't put a title on somebody who's not full-time, unless their name is Brock Lesnar, apparently. But name one great Jade Cargill match. Go ahead. I'll wait. You can't do it, can you? You fucking can't do it. You know why? Because you took this woman who is a phenomenal athlete. I'm not going to pretend that Jade Cargill is not a phenomenal athlete. But we've seen a lot of phenomenal athletes shit the bed in this business. And you didn't do her any favors by rushing her onto TV and immediately just making her a, a featured attraction. You did her no favors whatsoever. She's now Lex Luger. All right? If any... if. With any luck, she'll be John Cena, who you fucking did the same thing to. They took Cena, who looked like a million bucks, couldn't wrestle his way out of a brown paper bag, and they fucking pushed the shit out of him, and guess what? The crowd hated him. The crowd absolutely hated him at first, because you shoved him down everyone's throat. And that's what they're doing to Jade Cargill, okay? She can't really talk. She can... she... Let me, let me rephrase... Her promos are not compelling. Her delivery is great. Okay? Her delivery is absolutely fucking great. The content of her promos is the same shit every time. Cut the shit, Tony. Every single fucking time. It's boring. The, the ring announcers even mentioned that her title reign had gotten boring a few weeks ago. They did. And then you brought Nyla Rose in. And Nyla, I, oh, Nyla, I love Nyla Rose. I love her promos. Funny as shit, without making you think she could not kick the living shit out of you. Like, Nyla is entertaining. Nyla does not get enough credit for being as entertaining as she is. The greatest catchphrase I've heard in years, which was, I break bitches. That fucking great. Anyway, you have this story where Nyla stole Jade's uh, TBS title and she's okay. Let me, let me wrap my head around this for a second. You're telling me in this professional wrestling organization, somebody who's not the champion can go steal the belt and parade around with the belt for weeks and nobody can get the title back. Um, let's see that shit happen in UFC. Let's let me see if that happens in UFC. Uh, it's fucking stupid. It was absolutely fucking stupid. 
But, like I said, Nyla Rose entertaining enough to make me not bored as shit on this. So, anyway. Then these two had to wrestle. I would be remiss if I did not mention Jade Cargill's uh, Thundercat ring gear. She came out as Chitara. Because Jade Cargill is a cosplayer. That was the first time I ever saw Jade Cargill. So I saw I was going through Instagram and I see this woman with a dynamite physique dressed like Storm from the X-Men. And I went, holy shit, that looks amazing. Six weeks later, she's cutting a she's cutting a promo on Dynamite, cutting the promo on Cody Rhodes, saying that she's gonna team with Shaq. And I just delivered that with way more coherence than she did. And she had time to prepare for it. You guys remember that shit? Okay. Anyway, this match happened. 15 people in the crowd cheered. Jade retains her title in the lamest undefeated streak ever. So, yep, that was the match. We move on to the ROH title match. Claudio Casagnoli, Brian Danielson, Sammy Guevara, and champion Chris Jericho. These guys, oh my god worked their ass off. This was, well, how do you not have a great match that includes Brian Danielson and Chris Jericho? Think of this. Wrap your head around this. In a fatal four-way, Claudio Casagnoli is the third best worker involved. Wrap your head around that for a second. Sammy Guevara is the first guy to make his entrance, and I died. I fucking died. Sammy has new entrance gear. Oh my god. Okay. This this entrance gear that Sammy Guevara came out in was just Halloween spirit store fantastic. It was now, it was a green cape with yellow horns on the shoulders and I'm assuming it's supposed to be low-key inspired, but this seriously looked like it was taken from the lowest budget Halloween porn movie set ever. That's, that's what this looked like. That's exactly what this looked like. Now, again, these four guys, there's no way this match can't be great. And it wasn't. This move, hold on. I fucked that up. Anyway, I'm not going to edit that out. Fuck it. This match was great. This match, they did, again, these four guys told some really great stories. Because, again, you have uh, Brian Danielson pairing off with Sammy Guevara. You have Claudio Casagnoli pairing off with Chris Jericho. And all four guys worked their ass off. And at one point, Jericho and Guevara hit the floor. And you have Danielson and Casagnoli in the middle of the ring both members of the Blackpool Combat Club, and they shake hands, and the crowd started to go nuts because they knew we were about to see some old-school ROH greatness. Both these guys came through ROH. Both these guys know each other, probably going on 20 years, if I have to guess. These guys, they, these guys put on some great showings in ROH. You now give them... 10 years, 15 years of seasoning on top of that, these guys were great. And then 
inevitably you have Claudio and uh, Danielson hitting the floor and you have Sammy and Jericho in the ring and they planted seeds in the TV leading up to this. They planted seeds that Jericho basically said, yeah, Sammy is going to lay down and I'm going to cover him, pin him and retain my title. And you, there were shades of dissension there where Sammy was just like, yeah, okay, we'll see about that. And when these guys started teeing off on each other, again, another great story told in this match. Finish of this was, I had never seen this. Claudio grabs Sammy Guevara, both legs. He's doing the giant swing on him. And they're going round, round, round. And Jericho runs in, jumps over Guevara, and hits a leaping, flying Judas effect on Claudio Casignoli. Execution not great, because you see he didn't get the height he wanted, and he hits Claudio right in the chest. But instead of just covering him for a shitty, you know, instead of covering him for what was going to be a shitty finish, it's Jericho. Jericho tells him, do it again. And he backs up in the corner. Claudio sells up. Jericho runs in. Boom. Spinning Jews effect. Second one in a row. One, two, three. Jericho retains his ROH heavyweight title. We then have the Britt Baker Soraya match. And you know what? This, I was nervous about this one. I was really nervous because Soraya been out of the ring for five years. I'm sure she was training for this match, but goddammit, not the same. Not the same. This match was awesome. And here's why. These women did not rush. They took their time. They told a great story. The psychology in this was top-notch. Soraya hasn't been in the ring for five years because of a very public neck injury. So what does Britt do? You start working the neck. Because again, these people, you have to hook wrestling fans emotionally. And these people, they've missed their hot little goth girlfriend. Hasn't been in the ring for five years. If you want to see any of Soraya, you have to go watch her on Twitch. Thought I was going somewhere else with that, didn't you? You have to go watch her on Twitch. She's finally back in the ring. And what is the easiest story to tell that will hook these fucking people? The neck. You go after the neck. And it was a... I mean, these people got into it. They really did. Now, was this... Was this a five-star match? No. No, it wasn't. All right. But I'm thinking that this show started to run really long at this point because you look up in the crowd and you saw a bunch of people just kind of sitting on their hands. Like, I want to say the show was easily two hours old at this point. Maybe. Maybe it just felt like it. I don't know. But it really started to drag at this point. And these two women worked their ass off. These women put on a great match. There was something they did in this match that kind of got lost. They, it kind of got lost in the sense that who has ever kicked out of Britt Baker's curb stomp? Anybody? I cannot think of one person that has kicked out of the curb stomp. Soraya kicked out of it twice here. Kicked out of her finish. Probably one of the most, well, is it? I don't know, finishes are more protected here in AEW. They're not prostituted like they are in WWE. So I was about to say, like, Britt's 
Fritz Kerbstomp is very well protected, but all of them are. All the finishes are... Anyway, I'm rambling. It's fucking 3.45 in the morning here. Anyway, point being that nobody has ever kicked out of Brit's curb stomp. Soraya kicked out of it twice, and nobody said anything. Ring announcers didn't acknowledge it at all. So I thought that was kind of a lost opportunity there, but anyway, whatever. Soraya goes over, hits her finish twice. The what She used to call it the Rampage. No idea what... I don't think she can use Rampage here in AEW. But anyway, Soraya goes over... This was good. I really enjoyed this. This we're going to follow up with the uh, TNT title match. Wardlow versus Hobbs versus Samoa Joe. This was three big-ass fucking dudes just beating the shit out of each other. That's I, that's the best way I could describe it. This was, this was Godzilla versus King Kong versus... I don't know, the wolf from the Rampage video game? I don't know. But... Honestly, I thought this was great. I thought this was not a lot to, to comment on. Again, three big-ass dudes beating the living shit out of each other. The finish of this, okay, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence here. I don't like the whole no disqualification in a multi-man match. I think it's stupid because every time you pay it off, it's at the end. Anytime that that little loophole is paid off, it's always at the end of the match. Somebody does something, somebody hits somebody with a foreign object or whatever, and, well, referee can't disqualify him because it's a triple threat match. Who, who wins in that case? Well, you fucking throw the guy out of the match, and you let the other two continue. How hard is this? Because otherwise, if you keep it the way it is, you make the fans feel stupid. Let me explain. Finish of the match, Wardlow is going for his fourth powerbomb on Hobbs. Joe comes in with a TNT title, cracks the living shit out of Wardlow, and while Wardlow's down, Joe chokes out Hobbs, chokes him unconscious. We have a new TNT champion. Why didn't Joe do that in the beginning? See? That's what, that's what I mean, right there. If there's no disqualification in a triple threat match, why didn't Joe just grab the TNT title and start swinging it around until he was the only man standing in the ring and then fucking choke somebody out? Matt, if there's no disqualification, this match should have been 38 seconds long. Okay? So, I don't like this. It's stupid. But at the same time, Joe is now a double champion. I saw this on Instagram. Some dumb shit has a picture of Joe with his TNT title and his ROH TV title. Why ROH has a TV title when they don't have TV? I have no idea, but we're going to go with it. Joe sitting there with his two belts over his shoulders next to a picture of Roman Reigns with his two titles over his shoulders, and the caption was, two Samoan guys named Joe who are double champions. You have never seen three-dimensional breasts in your life, have you, sir? Whoever made this, you have never seen, like, you've never seen a vagina in living color. I, I can almost guarantee it just based on this fucking meme that you put together, you dumb shit. Anyway, fuck that guy. We then go to an interview, Tony Schiavone with Jericho. I have no idea what was said in this interview because Tony Schiavone has one of the greatest understated mullets going today. He really does. It was like Tony Schiavone, Tony Schiavone's head reached back into like 1984 and grabbed the greatest mullet from like the Memphis territory. And that's how Tony Schiavone's hair is being cut right now. 
The fucking guy has a mullet and an earring. He is fantastic. And right about now is where this show just started dragging. Oh my God, this started dragging ass. We have Sting and Darby Allen versus Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. Jeff Jarrett comes to the ring carrying the fucking guitar, and I'm sitting there going, has there ever, in the history of ever, been a guy who carried around a guitar more but couldn't play the fucking thing than Jeff Jarrett? Ever. Even the Honky Tonk Man would pick a few notes here and there when he was, when he was in promos. Jeff Jarrett has never held a guitar the way you're supposed to hold a guitar. The guy has fucking held a guitar the way you hold a baseball bat for 20 years. The only person I can even think of that comes close to the same stratosphere of carrying a guitar he couldn't play was Sid Vicious from the Sex Pistols. That is the only, like, even slightly close comparison I can make between these fucking two. Anyway, Sting. <laughs> God, I love Sting. I, you can't not love Sting. But goddammit, Sting didn't even work out for this match. He didn't. Sting came to the ring in black pants and a black long sleeve sweater. Sting was dressed like the burglar in every home security system commercial ever. That's exactly what this... He, this was Real Estate Steve. This was Real Estate Steve on his day off. That was basically... Oh my god. This... Oh my god. This, I can't even... They worked a match. That's what I can say. They worked a match. But I'm assuming... I don't remember the announcement, but apparently this was a street fight. Which would explain Sting's gear. It would also explain the fact that these fucking guys hit each other with chairs and tables and guitars and... Like... And the referee's just sitting there with his fucking dick in his hand. Like, alright, just... I can hit him with the flaming wrench. I don't care. I'm just here to count the three. That's that's basically it. There was one spot. I laughed my ass off. I don't know if I was supposed to, but Darby. Oh, my God, Darby. Like, if Darby lives to see 40, I will be shocked. Darby jumped off of a ladder on top of the stage, and this was seriously a 25 or 30-foot drop into that big fucking Indian dude's arms. What? I don't even know. what What is that guy's name? I, I cannot remember the fucking guy's name. Yeah, that guy. Anyway, the not-so-great Kali. I don't know. But jumps, and they just... He just caught him like a child. You ever see a... You ever see a kid jump off, like, the top of a jungle gym, and his dad... Like, it's like the kid's like a three-year-old, and the dad just catches him like nothing? That's what this dude looked like catching Darby. And later on, Darby is up. I saw this coming. I saw it coming because they fucked up the camera angle. Jay Lethal's on the mat. Darby Allen's going up the top, going for the coffin drop. And they fucked up the camera angle. And you can see Jeff Jarrett sneaking in. And I'm just like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. Darby Allen goes for the coffin drop off the top rope. Jeff fucking Jarrett swings this guitar like, like, oh my god. Like, Barry Bonds. He just <laughs> swung for the bleachers on this bitch. And this guitar explodes on Darby's spine. Poor fucking Darby Allen. Oh my god. 
Darby Allen's dead, isn't he? Darby Allen's a walking corpse. He's been dead for three years and nobody has told us. Darby Allen is basically Seth Green and Idle Hands. That's, don't lie to me. There's no fucking way you can do this shit to the human body and, and not kill them unless they're already dead. Don't bullshit me. Anyway, Sting and Darby over. It was a match. And like I said, here was the point where I was going, all right, there has to be Moxley and MJF next, right? Has to be. Okay, let's do this. And for the AEW women's title, Tony Storm versus J uh, Jamie Hayter. Fuck. Fuck me. Okay, let's do this. Tony Storm, Jamie Hayter, really good. I will say that. This was a really good match. Uh, these two women, they deserve all the credit in the world. They worked their asses off. But again, this match was just, I mean, this show was just dragging ass at this point. This was outside interference galore. Holy shit. AEW's getting really bad. They're getting really dependent on the outside, interfer outside interference finish. They are, they are, um, they have been dependent on it for a few weeks now. And actually for a few months and in the last couple of weeks, they actually have kind of toned it down. So I was like, cool, awesome. They they saw their mistake and they went, let's fix this. No, they just took the last few weeks of outside interference and put it in this match. There, there was like, okay, we only have a certain allotment for outside interference. We're just going to blow it all at full gear on the women's title match. Because poor Tony Storm was just getting the shit kicked out of her by Jamie Hayter, Britt Baker, and uh, Rebel. And we see a Rainmaker clothesline, and Jamie Hayter wins the World Heavyweight title. So, yeah. Anyway, that was that's all the enthusiasm I can muster for this, for this match. Next one's not going to be much better. AEW tag title match. I will say this. You put all the title matches at the end. That's new. That's interesting. It's a very novel approach. I like it. Anyway, you have the acclaimed, the AEW Tag Team Champions versus Swerve Scott, Swerve Strickland. He's Strickland now. He's not in NXT anymore. Swerve Strickland, Keith Lee. Oh, oh holy shit. I just, I just scrolled back into my notes for this match. Here's the only thing I wrote for this match. This show has been super long, and I honestly don't give a shit about this match. Acclaim retains their titles. That was it. That was my that was my notes for this. Apparently, I was given no shits when I watched this match. That's how long this show was running. So yeah, acclaimed retains their titles. Go acclaimed. Scissor me, daddy ass. Yeah. Anyway, here we are. Finally, world AEW World Heavyweight Title match: John Moxley versus Maxwell Jacob Friedman. This was interesting. This was great. And I'm going to tell you why in a second. John Moxley, newsflash, John Moxley's really good at this pro wrestling thing. Don't know if you guys knew that. This match was worked completely back assward. And here's what I mean. In every match in the or every yeah, every every match in the last 3 years MJF has worked heel. John Moxley has been, let's face it, the fucking guy has been the savior 
of AEW over the last year. He has been. Don't pretend he hasn't been. He has been the absolute savior. Think about this for one second, okay? John Moxley carried this company on his back as the champion. He realizes, after his run, he realizes dude's got some demons he needs to work out. So he went away and he got himself well. Comes back and what does he do? Picks his fucking company up and carries it on his back again. Put, they put the World Heavyweight title back on him and he carried it like a fucking pro. Drops it to CM Punk. CM Punk breaks his foot, has to give up the title. They put the title back on Moxley, who again carries carries the title and the company on his back. Carries it all summer. Punk gets his foot repaired, comes back. He drops the title to Punk. Punk effectively shits the bed and just causes a fucking riot at the last pay-per-view. So what do we do? We put the title back on Moxley. Fucking John Moxley has been a god to this company. All right? Oh my god. Now, MJF, in case you guys haven't been paying attention, MJF has been the most hated fucking heel in AEW. For the last three years, the most hated heel until he pulls his Brian Pillman power play disappearing act, goes away all summer, and he is welcomed back like a conquering hero. Okay? And people have been cheering the shit out of him, and you could see this, he's leading toward babyface, leading toward, now, don't get ahead of me, because I knew where this was fucking going. We get to this match, and Moxley, like I said, really good at this pro wrestling thing, Moxley works heel. Moxley actually does, like, the whole time, he's working heel, he's getting the heat on MJF, he's flipping off the crowd, this guy doesn't give two shits. And it was fantastic, because going into this match, MJF was already getting some massive babyface heat. He was getting massive babyface heat, so why would you fight the crowd? Just go with it and that's what they did so Moxley came in I didn't watch the entrances I, I will say this the feed I was watching for some reason it just cut straight to both guys are in the ring doing uh, ring introductions both, uh, both the entrances were cut out so I didn't see who got cheered more but I did see Moxley is just working heel doesn't give a shit flipping off the crowd MJF total babyface complete fucking babyface and then there's the spot there's the spot going up to this leading up to this match you had this great story where MJF is talking about he cut this promo on Regal talking about his tryout at WWE and how uh, Regal was really impressed and said I'm going to keep following you keep sending me matches keep sending me promos and at one point just says, emails him back and says, you're not what we're looking for. Go make your name on the indies and come back when you're a star, basically. And MJF, it was kind of a whiny promo. Like, like his delivery, great content, made him sound like a sniveling little bitch. But anyway, I digress. But this story was being told where 
MJF had this chip on his shoulder that Regal put there and Regal said, you've never done anything on your own. You've never, you've paid people off to interfere in your matches. You've cheated with this damn diamond ring and you've never earned anything. And MJF says, I'm going to earn this. I'm going to do it. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So we have the spot in the ring. Referee's down. Mox is down. MJF goes into his tights. Horrible camera angle for that because, yeah, there it just shot right down MJF's tights, and I, I have that burned in my head now, motherfucker. Somebody buy that guy a, a manscaper, please. Anyway, MJF reaches into his tights, pulls out the dynamite diamond ring, and then Regal makes his entrance, and he's yelling at, don't you do it, don't you dare do it. And MJF takes the ring off, throws it out of the ring. Took the diamond ring off, threw it out of the ring. Anyway, match goes on, referee's down, replacement referee comes in, he got bumped, because why the fuck not? And while Moxley is trying to get the other first referee up, Regal slips MJF the brass knucks, MJF clocks Moxley with the brass knucks, cover, one, two, three, MJF is now your AEW World Heavyweight Champion, and these people are, they started to cheer. They started to cheer until they realized, wait, we got worked. We got worked and now they're pissed. Now they're pissed and I laughed. I died laughing. Here's why. You guys know the story they told? Do you guys recognize this story? Log on to your Peacock app or your WWE Network and go watch Survivor Series 1998. The story they were telling at the time, Rock had just come out of the Nation of Domination. He was a heel, but he was getting babyface heat. They were getting cheers. And they're telling this subtle story where the title is vacant. WWE World title is vacant. There's going to be a tournament at Survivor Series. Winner of the tournament is the new champion. And Vince McMahon is saying, Rock will never be my champion. Never. And they're making you think that Mankind was corporate Mankind at the time. So Vince was going to put the title on Mankind. We work our way through the tournament. Rock is advancing. Mankind's advancing. Finals of the tournament has the Rock versus Mankind. Vince McMahon's at ringside. And you're positive that they're going to screw the Rock. And Mankind's going to be your world champion. And what happens Swerve the fuck out of everybody. Vince turns on Mankind, sides with The Rock. Rock wins a world title, and Rock aligns himself with Vince McMahon. That's the story they told here. You had MJF on one side, William Regal on the other side, and the story they're telling is that these two men are rivals. They're on opposite sides, and then right at the end of the match... William Regal does a heel turn, slips the brass knucks to, to MJF, clocks John Moxley, MJF wins a world title. They did the SummerSlam 98 story here at Full Gear 2022. Genius. It was fucking genius, and I saw it three weeks ago. I knew exactly what they were doing. And if you don't believe me, you can check my Twitter because I posted it then, fuckers. So... All right. And finally, and, and 
the part I love is John Moxley can finally go take that vacation that he was supposed to take like a year and a half ago. The fucking guy was supposed to go away for like six weeks, and then they just kept putting a world title back on him. And he's like, God damn it. It was a hell of a time to quit drinking. Anyway, but so, yeah, we now have a fully heel MJF, and then the cherry on top of the fucking awesome Sunday is Moxley cuts this promo at the media scrum after the show. Oh, the times! They are a-changing! Oh, he's here. You wait your turn, baby. People pay to see me, not you. Let's talk, shall we? AEW is now destination television once again. The ship has been steered properly once again. This belt is now the most important belt in this entire sport. And it states the three letters. And it damn sure ain't AEW. I know for a motherfucking fact it ain't MOX. It's MJF. God damn it, people are fucking dumb, man. No offense. No offense. You had sympathy for the devil? What are you, fucking stupid? You morons bit on every single word I had to say this past couple of months, huh? I want to earn it. I want to fuck that. I deserve it, because I'm the best wrestler in the fucking world. And every single one of you know it. On the microphone, in the ring, nobody can touch me. That's a fact, nobody is on my level. And then, to think you guys still believe me when I put over this motherfucker this past Wednesday? Grow the fuck up, no offense. Grow up. Now let's talk a little bit, huh? Uh, MJF, what's going on with you and Regal? You know, we're all really interested. What's going on? How'd that link up start? You think I'm gonna tell you, dumb motherfucker? Huh? With 70,000 fucking hardcore marks watching at home jerking off in their grandma's basement? Huh? To my velvet voice? You think I give a shit? No, if you want to know anything about the most important man in professional wrestling, you gotta tune in to the MJF show. That's every Wednesday on TBS. And you know damn well that is now Destination TV. Now, here's what's gonna fucking happen, okay? I'm gonna take a shower. I'm gonna get all of Moxie's disgusting hepatitis A through Z off of me. And then, in the morning, I'm gonna do what nobody else on the roster does because I'm the only real fucking star here. I'm gonna hop on a jet and I'm gonna go to my goddamn movie set. Anybody got any questions? Huh? Just kidding. Thank you. Fuck you. Bye. Champs fucking out, baby! And that is how you cut a promo for the greatest run in God knows how long. That right there was fucking amazing. Oh my God. All right. So that is AEW Full Gear. Like I said, it was a long ass show, but it had a great fucking payoff. And yeah, just going to leave it at that. I am Greg Hernandez, the Ninja Nerd Warrior. You can find me on all forms of social media. Just go look for Ninja Nerd Warrior on Facebook, on Twitter, while it's still around, on Instagram, on YouTube, and on TikTok. If you love this show, God bless you. Usually there is a little share icon on your favorite podcast, uh, podcast app. And hit the share button. Send this one to people you know, people you like. Tell them, hey, you gotta listen to this guy. He's fucking nuts, but damn it, he's entertaining. And if you don't like it, 
Share this with people you don't like. I don't give a shit. I need the numbers. So you can find this podcast on Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and uh, what's the other one? Audible. I knew I was forgetting one of them. Or, damn it, just go right to the source and go to ninjawarriorpodcast.com. And with that, I am out. I will see you guys later. I'm unemployed now, so I'm probably going to be doing these shows way more consistently. All right? Talk to you later. Thank you.